This is episode number 40 of the Sonia Looney Show, How to Be a Writer, with Bicycling Magazine's Leah Flickinger and Gloria Liu. I'm Sonia Looney, and welcome to my show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, covering topics of mindset, inspiring stories, life lessons, and plant-based nutrition. I'm stoked you guys are here, and I'm really thankful that you are listening to my show, and I really appreciate it when you guys take a screenshot and share my show on social media. And don't forget to subscribe or leave a review. One of the things that makes me really proud to work for this brand is Bicycling really believes in diversity and it believes that the way forward for our sport is to attract new riders and then to make all the different kinds of riders feel represented. You will go through the pages of Bicycling and you'll see people all different races, sexual orientations, not just your white guy rider who's sort of this stereotype and already represented. I think you're really gonna like the guests for today's show. So last year I went to the Bicycle Leadership Conference in California and discovered that Bicycling Magazine appointed a new editor-in-chief, a female editor-in-chief, Leah Flickinger. I was excited to see that one of cycling's biggest publications had a female at the top of their leadership. I did more research into who was working at the magazine and noticed something else. Over half the team was comprised of females. And being a bike industry employee in the past and being a big part of the bike world, empowering women to ride and to work in the industry is a very common topic. I was excited to see that Bicycling took the reins and actually did what a lot of businesses say that they're going to do, create equal opportunity for women. When Leah was appointed, she was quoted in Brain Magazine. Cycling in general is becoming more diverse in terms of gender, race, and age. I'm thrilled to lead the bicycling team as we reflect this growth while continuing to expand the gear and fitness content our existing readers know and love. We also have Bicycling's features editor, Gloria Liu, on the show. I met Gloria before I even knew that she worked at Bicycling. She stood on top of the Enduro podium every single day at the Transylvania Epic Stage Race that I did last year. I later found out that she worked at Bicycling Magazine as well. It was great to connect with these two very inspiring women. As a longtime freelance writer myself, I often get questions about how I started, how to be a writer, and how to even pitch to magazines. And my story was interesting because I have my master's degree in engineering and I only took one writing class in college. It was a tech writing class and I hadn't done any creative writing since high school. And I loved creative writing in high school, but in engineering, you just don't need to do that stuff. But I started my own blog in 2007 because I wanted to share my stories with the world. I thought that there were some interesting things happening through my life as a newbie bike racer. And I got to exercise my riding muscle once again. And when I started stage racing in, I think it was 2010, I decided to pitch some of my ideas to magazines and they took me up on it. So that's how I became a writer. But instead of just giving you my two cents, I wanted to bring in true literary acumen to the microphone so you could hear what they had to say. In the show, you'll get to hear about how both of these amazing women got into cycling and how they became writers. It might not be what you expect to hear, actually. We also talk about how to pitch a story to a magazine and what those elements need to be, a little bit of behind the scenes of Bicycling Magazine, and our commentary on the bike industry and how to encourage more female leadership and participation. Before we get into it, I wanted to thank this week's podcast sponsor, Health IQ. 
Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for athletes and health conscious people like us. It's pretty interesting, actually. Health IQ can save customers up to 33% because physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, a 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. So active people are pretty awesome. They also have savings for people who eat healthy diets, specifically vegans, because there is so much empirical data about how eating a vegan or a plant-based diet helps you live longer. Life insurance is also a great tool for long-term planning in your life, particularly if you have assets, if you're married, or if you have kids. And life insurance can also be used as an investment tool. For a free quote, check out healthiq.com slash Sonia or mention the promo code Sonia when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Also, guys, big thank you to those of you who are contributing financially to my work on Patreon. I am doing a little bit more on there. For example, this week I actually did a Q&A session where you can privately send me your questions and there's a video that's only available to Patreon members. So you guys get special access to me to pick my brain and I'm doing my best to bring you special content on there. The Plant Powered Tribe Facebook group is hopping. Everybody's welcome to join. You don't have to eat a plant-based diet. You just have to be plant curious and interested in supporting people live a healthy lifestyle. So thank you to everybody who's in the group. It's been really fun to connect with all of you and to share our journey. You can find a link to the Plant Power Tribe in the show notes, or you can just go on Facebook and type in Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney. All right, well, let's get into the show with Gloria and Leah. And let's learn more about riding and bicycling and a lot more exciting stuff. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks. Yeah, Good thanks to be for here. Yeah. Yes, we have Leah and Gloria on the show today, which is really special to have both of you. <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys about how you both got into riding because it's always a really interesting topic to hear people's journeys as they get into riding. You know... I've always ridden bikes my whole life, right? Like most of us. And everywhere I went in my life, a bike always came with me. You know, even if I never really thought of myself as a quote unquote cyclist, you know, I had a bike was always part of my life. And then I started working at Rodale, the parent company that that used to own bicycling. And there was this lunch ride thing that people would go on. That was kind of when I realized like people could be like kind of serious about riding a bike. <laughs> and I bought my, you know, my first grown up road bike and started doing the lunch ride and kind of just got pulled into this sort of cycling lifestyle. Yeah, for me, I actually, even though I rode a bike when I was a kid, I actually started like cycling in the, in the way that we think of it pretty late in life. Like I used to be a runner and I got a road bike in my mid twenties to, you know, do cross training. And I did that a little bit, would run and, and ride my road bike sometimes. But, um, it was when I, an ex-boyfriend of mine taught me to mountain bike that I really caught the bug. And I just remember like, for me, I pretty much know immediately whether I am going to like something. And there's only been a couple of times in my life when I've been like, oh my gosh, like, I love this. And with mountain biking, that was one of those things. I remember I was just riding up this muddy dirt road and I hadn't even like gone on a downhill yet. And I was like, this is awesome. I want to do this all the time. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I'm in trouble. I'm going to be obsessed with this thing. And, and yeah, that became basically my obsession. And I just stopped running and went all in on mountain biking. 
and um, started doing a little racing, which always, you know, makes you take things even more seriously. And yeah, here I am now. So that's really great that both of you guys have your passion tied up with your job and that you get to tell people about things that you love in your job on a daily basis. But did writing lead to riding or was it vice versa? I, I know, Leah, you said you always rode a bike, but did that inspire you to become a writer? Well, so here's so I think of myself more as an editor than a writer. That's mm-hmm. been my career path largely. But it's interesting that you ask it in that way, because at one point in my sort of cycling life, I decided that I wanted to do triathlons. And this was at a time when people were doing a lot of blogging Mm -hmm. and I decided to do a triathlon blog and I felt very inspired to write about my experiences trying to figure out the whole like three sports thing. And like, and there was this whole triathlon blogging community and I did a lot of writing about running and swimming and cycling and racing. And, um, it kind of, I sort of got the bug to like sort of combine the two passions, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I actually, when I was growing up, always had this dream of being a writer, but I come from a family of people who are very practical. My parents are both immigrants from Taiwan. So they were like, if you try to go and become a writer or journalist, you're going to end up broke and homeless and unhappy. And (laughs) I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll do finance instead. (laughs) So I actually, uh, I worked in finance for five years uh, out of college, mostly because I didn't really have any better ideas, but I got, you know, pretty burnt out on that because it just never really played to any of my strengths or my talents. And one day I was just like, you know, like I just need to take a break and travel and sort of do a little soul searching. And when I came out of that year and a half off or so, I don't know exactly what I want to do with my life yet, but I do know that I want to do something that I'm really passionate about. And I ended up finding a job at a company called Training Peaks, which makes training software for cyclists. And that was like one of the most fun jobs I'd ever had to that point. And still, you know, was doing marketing. I wasn't writing, but um, I remember I pretty much hit my 30th birthday and I was like, man, like I'm not getting any younger. This has always been a dream of mine. I'm just going to go for it. So I, I quit my job and started freelancing. And that's how I ended up at bicycling. So I guess it's sort of, I don't know if that really answers the question of what led to what, but I guess actually it does because it's pretty much my riding a mm-hmm. bike led to my writing about bikes. And it's funny because one of the things that appealed to me about Gloria when I saw her resume was that she had a finance background, which is really strange. Like, why would I be looking for someone <laughs> who had a finance background to be a, an editor? But I knew that she'd have like a logical mind and that she'd be able to, you know, she I, I could also tell that she was a good writer and, and, you know, had the word thing down because I'd seen her work. But I knew that she'd be able to like have the sort of organized mind to like to handle a magazine and the crazy schedules that we have and and all that. And it, it seems to have worked out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is working out. It's definitely a lot more fun than finance yeah. than sitting there building financial models. like yes. I used And luckily to. you don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it takes a lot of courage to do that. There's lots of people that are working jobs that they don't like, but it's scary to take a leap, especially going freelance where you don't have a regular paycheck and it's up to you to get jobs on a, a regular basis. So that's, that's really awesome that you were able to say, this is my passion and this is really important to me. And then you had the courage to take the leap and now look where you are. It's really, really like inspiring. And it's cool because my background's in engineering and not, not everybody knows that. Like I have my yeah. master's degree in engineering and I was working in engineering and was like, I don't like this. It's, I'm not passionate about <laughs> this. 
And I ended up getting a job in the bike industry doing marketing, which had nothing to do with engineering. And while I was an engineer, I started freelance riding because I was trying to get free entries to get into stage racing because I couldn't afford mm-hmm. it. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting to hear people's paths and what people decide to do in their lives and what leaps and bounds they try to make. Yeah, definitely. You never, I really believe that like the trajectory of our lives is often determined by very small, seemingly mm-hmm. innocent decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you start writing to get stage race entries and then leads to bigger writing opportunities. And then suddenly that's now a big part of what you do, right? You found a platform to help people on too. It's cool. Yeah. And I think writing is real, like, right. It's hard because it's hard for people to tell if we're saying riding, like bike riding or right team. <laughs> but like, yeah, writing is awesome because you get to help people. Like that is like the premise of what, especially a bicycling too, like you guys are motivating people like recreational cyclists, urban cyclists, and even people like in doing races to get out there and to help make their lives better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for like, sure. How has bicycling evolved over the years? Leah, you've been there since 2010. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So how has it evolved? Because I remember like reading bicycling when I first started riding. And then whenever I read it now, it's, it seems a, a bit different. Yeah, I mean, it has evolved a lot since I started. You know, it was much more focused at the time on, you know, sort of core service type of content, you know, how-to information. But that was all stuff that you really don't look for in a magazine anymore. You you know, if you want to help fixing a flat, you're not going to like go rifling through your back issues of bicycling to find the one article on fixing a flat. You're going to Google it. And we started focusing, you know, the magazine a little bit more on, you know, authenticity, like real people, real interesting people doing cool things in cycling and, you know, inspirational storytelling, you know, and I'm sure that even since Gloria started four years ago, three years ago, yeah, a little over three, yeah. Um, I would say you, it's evolved since then as well. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to hear how you would describe it. Yeah. So I started reading bicycling when I started riding, which was several years ago. And that bicycling was very different because I would say it's like, it was more like literary almost. Mm. Like there was a lot of columns, like personal essay type stuff. And it did seem to be sort of geared to a, a certain kind of cyclist too. Like I would say maybe a more, even more serious cyclist at that time or a smaller niche segment of cyclist. And I think that now one of the things that makes me really proud to work for this brand is that I know diversity is such a buzzword right now, but bicycling really, really believes in diversity. And it believes that the way forward for our sport is to like attract new riders and then to make all the different kinds of riders feel represented. Like you will go through the pages of bicycling and it's like you'll see like people, all different races, sexual orientations, like not just sort of your white guy rider who's sort of this like stereotype and very much already represented else um and that's like really a priority of ours and leah pushes us like she pushes me every month to like like she'll be like all right can we find someone else um, a person of color or more women you know and like that's already on my radar and she's still pushing me and i think that that means a lot to me personally and i i like to believe that that means a lot to our readers too when you look at a magazine just to see someone who looks like you like Mm -hmm. when you're underrepresented elsewhere that really means a lot yeah, I mean, just to piggyback a little bit on what what Gloria was saying about how it was literary, 
I never really thought of it as literary, but she's right about there were these, there was this section of columns. There was like three columns and each of them was written by a white dude, like a middle-aged white dude. And the majority of the magazine was written by like white dudes. And I remember at one point we were in a meeting talking about, you know, how could we, what could we do to change the magazine to make it more appealing? And we got to the column section and you know, the editor at the time was like, Leah, what do you think about this? And I, and I had been feeling kind of shy about like sharing my opinion because I didn't know whatever. I'm a little bit of an introvert and I didn't want to be like the one who was making trouble. <laughs> and I just like, I blurted out, I'm like, this is a wall of maleness. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of looked at me like, what? And, and then like, you know, the next month, they found a woman columnist, you know, they didn't get rid of the columns right then, but they found a, a woman. And it's been, you know, a long time in the making to sort of get the magazine where it is now, but I'm pretty proud of what we've been able to do. Yeah. I mean, I found out that you were the editor in chief at the bicycle leadership conference last year at Sea Otter. Right. You know? And then I did a little bit more looking into bicycling and I met Gloria at the Transylvania Epic. And I realized that bicycling has a lot of females in leadership positions. And it's really apparent that based on the content you guys put out and how the magazine has evolved, that leadership has really emanated from the top down. And mm -hmm. I really commend you guys on that because in cycling, that's not always the case. A lot of our industry is male dominated and there's not a lot of women in leadership roles. And that is starting to change. But I think mm -hmm. I really wanted to have you guys on the podcast because I think that most people don't realize that Bicycling Magazine is actually... I don't know for sure if this fact is true, but it seems that it's almost female dominated in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And that's really special. And I think that that has contributed to the diversity of people and topics. And it helps people, like you said, get into our sport. And it's the only way to grow our sport. It isn't to just keep championing people who are already doing it. It's like, how do we get new people in? And I think you guys are doing a really great job creating a platform and a resource and a community mm -hmm. where people can feel involved. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it's interesting to hear you say that it seems almost female dominated. I think the accurate statistic is that we're about 50-50. Mm -hmm. But I think because it's such a rarity in cycling that it does feel female dominated <laughs> mm -hmm. because it's more than you see at most other places. I mean, the good news is now, you know, there are you have Nicole Formosa at Bike Magazine, who's editor there. Um, That's true. So, you know, you see some more of those leadership positions held by women. And, you know, hopefully that trend will continue but uh, I'm proud of what, what we've been able to do. And, you know, and it's not like we're sitting around trying to make this a magazine for women. It's just, it's a magazine for people who ride and right. women ride, you know, so it's just being inclusive instead of exclusive. Yeah, I think one of the things that I think I've seen, Leah, and then for, you know, a while that I, after, when I got hired, Bill Strickland was the editor-in-chief. So Bill and Leah did a lot of hiring around the time that I came on. And what I think I saw was that, they were willing to look beyond the traditional places where people or the bike industry finds employees. Right. So, you know, a lot traditionally the bike industry has hired a lot of ex shop people and ex racers. And guess what? Like those areas of cycling are very male dominated. And Bill and Leah were they got more creative, you know, like they looked also, I didn't come from a shop. I, right. I'm not a pro racer, you know, I didn't even have a journalism background, but they were like, Hey, you seem like you could be <laughs> competent. Um, <laughs> let's take a shot on you, you know, like, but you know, if I was, you know, you know we've had a lot of other people who have come from non-traditional backgrounds and they really just seem like wanted to hire the best people. And when you just go out that mindset, you're like, we're just going to hire the most 
talented people, the most capable people, like, guess what? 50% of them are going to be women because that's just the world that we live in, right? If you believe that women and men are equally capable, then, and you start to hire for talent, then suddenly your workforce is going to be representative of the general population. Yeah. Yeah. My my husband's the CEO of a, like a, he has his own financial planning firm here in Kelowna. And when they hire people, they look for, are they hungry, humble, and smart? And that's like the mm-hmm. Patrick Lencioni books. But I think that that's mm-hmm. a really cool way to hire people because, yeah, like it's easy to want to hire people like you. Like, so if, if you're in a male-dominated company or whatever, like I came from an engineering background, which is almost all men. <laughs> and, right. Right. you know, like people want to hire people like them. And there's this internal mm-hmm. bias that we all have. Mm-hmm. for one way or another and it's hard to overcome that sometimes so I think that like what you guys did saying well okay we need to define exactly what we're looking for that might help overcome what those biases could be I think is a really helpful way to help a company step forward and get out of like a groove that it might have been stuck in yeah for sure I mean I think again going back to the glorious hiring story you know her resume came across my desk because she was actually just looking for freelance work. And we were at the time looking for a gear editor. And I mean, it's, it sounds crazy, but you know, she didn't have any gear experience. She'd never worked at a magazine, but I could tell from her resume that she was smart. And, you know, she sent a, a gif <laughs> of her ringing a cowbell at a cross race. And so I knew that she was like, fun. (laughs) You know, and I didn't know if she was hungry, but I could sort of tell she probably would be. It was, you know, we weren't sure that she was going to want to do this. But yeah, and she's she brought so much to the job and so much to the magazine and 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 changed it for the better. So it was a great hire. What would you guys say to other women who are maybe they don't want to be a writer, but maybe they want to move up in a role in their company. Like maybe they have a job and they want to move up or they are in cycling and they want to be a little bit more, I don't know, they want to move forward in cycling because you guys have taken steps in your lives to move forward into these really cool roles and positions and, and, and places of influence too. So like what advice would you give to people who want to move forward and specifically to women? I mean, I can talk a little bit about just from my own personal career experience. You know, I, I've been at I've been at the company that owned bicycling for 21 years and in numerous roles, um, starting as a fact checker in the book division. Then I became a book editor and then I moved to Women's Health magazine and then finally to Bicycling magazine. And all of those moves were not because I was sort of chomping at the bit to do the next thing, but it was more like gaining as much experience as I could and doing the best job I could in what I was doing and waiting for the perfect opportunities. And then when those opportunities came along, you know, being pretty laser focused on on what I wanted. And, you know, and also like the bicycling thing, you know, I had been at Women's Health at the time for five years. And at one point, I don't remember what, I think there was a change in the editor-in-chief and I and I thought, oh no, you know, I'm not going to like this new editor-in-chief. I better be ready with like an exit plan. And I think I, and I had talked to someone at Bicycling and said, hey, if you guys are ever looking for someone to add to your staff, I'd be really interested. I love cycling. And then I forgot about that conversation. And like two years later, Bicycling came knocking on my door and I was like, how did they know that I would want to do this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I remembered. And so it's also about, you know, the networking and sort of keeping those lines open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like being willing yeah, to speak my- up. Yeah, for sure. I think that's kind of, that was sort of along the lines that I was going to say is like being your own advocate. And I, I know that sounds like people say that a lot, but 
I don't know. The advice I got from, I remember a more experienced editor once was, she was like, you know, people aren't just going to hand you big opportunities, right? You have to like, so in writing in journalism terms, like you would just, you would keep pitching big stories. And then what she said was like, pitch your big story and then write the hell out of it. Mm. Like just do your homework, prepare, like whatever it is, like whether you want that promotion, like make a case for it using data, you know, put together right. a PowerPoint presentation, like put some muscle into it and show people that you want it, like do your research and then ask for it. And then if you get it, there's going to be that moment, you know, if you're asking for something that may be a stretch where you're scared, but it's like, just write the hell out of it. Or like, mm -hmm. if it's a promotion, like just like kick butt, you know, like, but yeah, like just sort of like continually going back and creating as many opportunities as possible. They may not all pay off immediately, right. like you were saying, but then down the line, they will, it will definitely pay off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also think like looking at what is the worst possible case if I go for this and it just rejection is the worst possible case or like maybe you'll feel stupid right. or something, but it's like, that really isn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, because look at all the things that you could get and you could accomplish mm -hmm. if you actually try. And I, yeah, I think a lot of people are afraid to put their neck out because they have these fears. And like, I was reading this, this really cool article yesterday that did say, write down all the things that you're afraid of and write down the worst possible case scenario and write down mm -hmm. the best case scenario. And are, is the worst case scenario enough for you to not have the opportunity to get that best case scenario? Yeah, that's really cool. That's I like good that. advice. Yeah. I just, what I was going to just get in is that, you know, one thing that I've seen, which is sort of the opposite of what you're talking about, though, over the years, is that a lot of times we'll get, you know, young employees who come in straight from college and they expect a promotion after a year. And my attitude is, one, show me that you deserve the promotion. Right. But two, you know, sometimes it's worth sort of sitting back and just doing the best job you can mm -hmm. and waiting for an actual opportunity that's there. You know, getting a promotion when there's not actually an opportunity is pretty unlikely. And I almost think that you're better off, you know, having shown that you that you're willing to dig in and really do the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Like there is a a lot of self-entitlement out there as well and uh, people expecting things whenever they haven't done the work for it. But yeah, I right. think you have to have a balance of the two really. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you guys, cause you both are in the publishing world. You both like Gloria, you, you do lots of writing and uh, Leah, you're the editor in chief. And there's like a lot of people that are interested in getting into writing and they want to like lots of people were blogging and now people are on social media, but people have cool stories to tell. And Gloria, you said your background was in finance. It wasn't in writing. So if somebody wants to get into writing and they're really interested in that and they're this is like really resonating with them, what would you recommend? How do they get started? I would say the best thing to do if you want to write is to write. And I know that sounds very straightforward and obvious, but for me, so I used to write a lot when I was a kid and all growing up and in college, I kept this blog. Then I started working in finance and I fell out of the habit of writing. It was something that I really missed, but I felt like almost like every time I tried to sit down and write, there was just this block. Right. And uh, honestly, the, the thing that got me, the thing that got this all started was it was like a new year's resolution. I was like, I'm going to do 30 days of writing. And I started <laughs> this blog that nobody knew the URL to. And every day I just needed to sit down and write something like it could be one line. It could be a paragraph. It didn't matter how long it was, but what it was was that I was like making it a habit. as just like part of my day. Like, like brushing your teeth, you know, like you're not like, Hey, am I going to make time to brush my teeth today? 
it's just part of your habit. So and that really kickstarted it for me and just got me into the habit of like creating again. And also not having people looking at it right away, I think helped a lot because it took a lot of that pressure of like me thinking about what people were going to think at first, you know, there will come a time when it's going to matter what people think. But I think in the very beginning, like just the best thing you can do is just write and get in the practice of it. And when you feel ready, then start to look for opportunities to share, you know, like share with your network. That's like a safe place first. Like you'll hear positive things and that's going to keep you encouraged and motivated. And then, you know, you may like graduate up to like sharing with like a local website. Like I started writing for a local Boulder website. That's where I lived at the time, 303 Cycling. And, you know, it was a small community, but it was like a public forum. And for me, that was very exciting, you know, to be able to have people I didn't know read my writing. And I would hear from people sometimes like, you know, that was, gosh, that was like probably five or six years ago. And it's taken that long for me to write, you know, write for bicycling, like write longer features for bicycling. It can be a long journey, but you know, baby steps and just that consistency, I think are the most important things. Yeah. I would add to that, read, read Mm -hmm. a lot, find writers that, that really speak to you and, you know, read everything that they've written, be a student of storytelling and style. Cause you just, you absorb a lot of that and then you kind of, you develop your own voice but learn about storytelling, like learn the elements of a good story. That's something that Gloria and I talk about a lot in, 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 in editing. And it's, I think it's one of the things that writers struggle with, like how to start a story, how to keep readers interested. You know, there's a lot of good resources on the web for all that. But yeah, definitely reading is key. Mm-hmm. I have one, oh, yeah. one more thing too. And this is a, a biased answer as an editor, but like the other advice I'd give is that when you're ready, like when you feel like you have established your voice and your habit, be open to feedback. And I know that sounds very easy to do, but it's actually much harder than you think because people are going to say things to you that you just completely disagree with. You're going to be like, you just don't get it. You know, like you understand what I'm trying to do here, but like no piece of writing comes in, in first draft, like amazing or, you know, like everything has potential, but like it could always be better and you need someone else who has experiences to yeah. help you with that. And it depends a lot on, on, on what your goal is as a writer. I mean, if you want to get published, you have to expect to work with editors and, you know, the publication is going to have very specific wants and needs. And so you have to be ready to, to work within those parameters. But yeah, definitely being open to feedback is key. You know, editors and writers can have a really great relationship and make some really great work together, but you have to really work as a team to make that happen. And even if you're not doing anything, yeah, it's, it's a learning experience, right? Like every piece of feedback is something is a lesson. Yeah. And like, as an editor, how do you actually, cause it, it's tough. Someone submits something to you in their voice, but you need to edit it, but you don't want to take away their voice. So how do you navigate that? That's a good question. And, you know, when when I was a less experienced editor, I will admit that I think I probably trounced on people's voices more than I'm comfortable with now. Part of that had to do with, you know, the publications I was working for at the time that had a very specific type of voice that we were looking for. But I try as an editor to do the least amount of rewriting and ask the writer a lot of questions. And I would much prefer that the writer, you know, rephrase something in their own voice than for me to do it. So I try to take a really light hand in terms of like direct edits and and just have more of a sort of back and forth with the writer. Something I'm, I'm obviously still learning, but yeah, it's definitely an art. (laughs) It's as an editor, it's definitely a temptation to be like, well, I could just rewrite this. It would be faster and it'd be quicker. And I, you know, I know exactly what I want. 
but that's, I don't, that's not really editing. (laughs) Yeah. I, I had the experience once where I wrote something and then they didn't even show me the edits it just like was published mm-hmm. and it was a completely different thing that I submitted and it wasn't even my voice anymore. And I was frustrated because I didn't want my name attached to that. Cause it wasn't things that mm-hmm. I would be saying. And I said, I wrote back to them saying like, did I do something wrong? And they're like, Nope, this is great. And it was mm-hmm. just this really crazy situation where I realized that, okay, like there's a lot of different experiences you can have with editors. And because of that, I never wanted to work with that person again. Yeah. I mean, and there's so many different reasons that that happens too. There's like, I mean, I'm not defending the person, but there's like various time pressures and levels of experience. I I definitely think that it's not an ideal situation, but I know that it happens. And I'm sure I've been that editor at certain times in my life. So, and I'm not proud of that, but it is what it is. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask also for people who want to pitch a story to a magazine or a publication, like say someone's been doing their daily writing and they they feel really good and they're ready to move forward. People ask me and and I'm no expert in pitching, but people will say, well, Mm -hmm. okay, well, how do I get in the magazine? Like, what do I even do? So what would you say to people if they're trying to pitch a story somewhere and and like what goes into a good pitch? So what I would say is one, be very, very familiar with the publication. And I'm not saying that you need to know like everything they've ever done, but like get a sense of how they've covered this particular topic in the past, because like it's likely that they have understand, you know, what kinds of stuff they publish. You know, if they don't publish long narrative features, don't pitch them a long narrative feature because they're going to say no. Make sure that you have a really clear idea of what you want to accomplish with your story and that you articulate that very clearly in one or two paragraphs. I personally don't love it when I get an entire story sent to me because we have a lot, I mean, time is really challenging for us. We just don't have time to read a lot of unsolicited long pieces, but make sure that your pitch really articulates why your idea is unique, why the readership will love it, what the readers will get out of it. You know, try to avoid, especially for bicycling, like pitching stories that are like, I have this chance to go on this great trip, (laughs) you know, and and I'll get paid if you guys will send, you know, will say that I'm writing a story for you. That doesn't fly too much. So I don't know. There's lots of stuff to talk about on this, but Gloria, what do you have to add? Yeah. I mean, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, for me, I think similar to what you're a little of what you were saying, like know the difference between an idea and a pitch too. like yeah. an idea is like, Hey, I want to do a story about traveling to Norway. You know, a pitch is like, I'm going to do this route. Here's the significance to your readers. Why now here's who I might talk to. And here's the general arc of how my, why here's why I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. Something that has all those pertinent details is definitely more likely to make it to the next step. Yeah, we get, I mean, even in-house, like we'll have idea meetings and people will come to the idea meetings and they'll be like, hey, there's this really cool person. And we're like, okay, and what's the story? (laughs) You know, so like there's lots of cool ideas out there, but it's like, what is the actual story? What makes it unique and sort of a must read for our audience? I think that's awesome advice. So like bicycling is about encouraging people and encouraging new riders and then people just to stay in the sport and maybe evolve and, and try new things. So what have been some of the most powerful things that you guys have experienced and read at bicycling about encouraging people to get into the sport? Because 
most of us listening to this are already cyclists and we want our friends to start riding as well. And it's not always easy to get people onto a bike. So like, what kind of advice would you would you give and what are some powerful things that you've heard through your experience at bicycling? Gloria, do you want to start? <laughs> trying to think right now about stories that were powerful for motivating beginners. I think it's hard to get people into mountain biking specifically and, and also road biking because there is an equipment barrier and bikes are expensive and people are like, well, I want to start cycling, but I have to buy all the gear. So mm-hmm. have you guys done any anything about like how people can access gear without having to make a full commitment to the sport? Because I think that that is one of the main barriers. As far as gear goes, we totally recognize that this is an expensive sport. We try really hard to always feature a bike that we think is affordable, but is like a good value too. So like a bike that you're not going to just hate riding on because it's cheap. It comes with cheap parts. It's heavy. The shifting doesn't work. And that's a big priority for us. If you take a look at all the bikes that we feature in any given issue, you'll always see something that's sort of at the bottom tier of what we would think is like a good bike to ride, like good quality. I mean, I think in general, bicycling, we've been accused of people who are really core of being like almost too beginner friendly, you know, like we cast too wide a net and, you know, we've seen Facebook comments of people that are just like, why is this stuff here? Everybody knows this stuff. Or like, you know, this turning into just like a general interest fitness magazine. But I mean, we all got to remember that. Yeah. Like you said, we're surrounded by people who ride all the time, but there's a lot of people who are just getting started. And um, I think in general, we really try to make sure that our, the stories that we publish especially online, can help those people out and give them helpful advice. I would just like, as I was thinking about your question, and this is not really related to gear so much, but your original question, like I am consistently inspired by the people that we profile in our magazine, especially the people who share their stories about how they started. And in our January issue from 2015, this woman stands out. Her name was uh, Katie Meza, and she, she was overweight one day she she decided to like ride to impress a friend. She said, I went out on a cruiser bike. She was terrified, but it was a great way to see San Francisco. And she loved it. And she began to ride more and it gave her confidence. And then without much thought, she signed up for the AIDS life cycle, a seven day, 545 miles from, <laughs> from San Francisco to Los Angeles. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah. And then she, and she did it. You know, she like she did some training, you know, there was, they have to like these training groups and she did the ride. She lost a ton of weight. She, you know, and she became a, a, a training ride leader the next year. And she, and like, to me, that is so cool. She just loved it and nothing was going to stop her basically. And I don't know. I, I like the idea that we can be inspired by our readers mm-hmm. yeah, and sort I of remind it. I think like the, I can do this too culture is really important with those inspiring stories because people will think, well, I can never do that. Like I'm never going to be able to do that. But then if you see somebody else that you see yourself as an equal to, or maybe you see yourself as even fitter than that person, you realize that, oh, like, yeah, I actually can do that if if I want to do that. I'm actually writing an interesting article now for, um, it's about like what drives us in the outdoors. 
And I got to interview some really interesting people. And I got to talk to the former Ultraman world champion. And she said that at Ultra, at like an Ultraman, there's all walks of life there. Like there are, are like crazy fit professional athletes. But then she said, if you want to be motivated to, to try something and you're afraid to try it, go look at who's who's like doing an Ultraman or go look at who's in the back of the pack at an Ironman or, or like or a Leadville yeah. or whatever, because you'll realize that oh, like, well, I, I think I'm fitter than that person. And then you realize that, I okay, I can do this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Even though it's not really like beginner related, like we have done a lot of personal stories, especially in the last year and a half of just like people grappling with everyday cycling difficulties and insecurities. Like we, one of our writers wrote about being, you know, in his mid forties and wanting to learn how to dirt jump and watching all these kids just totally crush it. And he's just like, am I too old to learn this? You know, like, am I too old to get rad? And I think that's like a feeling that a lot of us can relate with, you know, like, am I running out of time to like become the writer that I want to be? We had another story about a woman, our managing editor actually, and it was called the hardest ride of my life. It was just all about how she was so nervous to go on this group ride because she was afraid of being last. And um, it turned out she wasn't last of this big class. (laughs) Actually, I actually got in the car. I didn't even do the ride. (laughs) But yeah, like she ends up not being last. And then she like realizes like nobody even cared, you know, and these are like everyday things that we all think about and get like totally wrapped up in. And they're very real. And like, they're uncomfortable for us to say out loud to our friends, but they're really real. And we really try to like, go after that in our stories. And Yeah. In our most recent issue that I don't think is even on newsstands yet, we have, it's called the confessions issue. Mm -hmm. That sounds awesome. (laughs) It's so fun. So like the cover line is the confessions issue, trail sex, getting dropped, clipping in, pee breaks gone wrong. That's Gloria. (laughs) Racing nightmares, hangovers, hairy legs, and more. And it's just a really fun package. It's mostly staff and readers kind of admitting some of their, you know, things that they don't really tell people about maybe their first when they first started writing. And the idea is just, you know, let's like kind of like let go of of that and just be okay with our struggles. Yeah. (laughs) Because we all started somewhere. I want to read that. That sounds like it's going to be a really fun read. It's fun. Yeah. I think the great thing about long form writing is that it helps us not feel alone. And it's Mm -hmm. hard. Like when when you look at social media, I mean, I know that social media has impacted, well, maybe you can tell me, I feel like it probably has impacted the publishing world because maybe people mm-hmm. are going to social media for their entertainment instead of reading a magazine, but mm-hmm. you don't get the same feeling whenever you're looking at pictures on Instagram scrolling through than when you're actually reading someone's story and having the same emotions of that person. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think social media also presents kind of this like false mm. reality. You know, mm-hmm. you think that everybody's out there like having a great time and you miss out on a lot of nuance. Whereas, you know, in more traditional media or, you know, for example, a long form narrative, you really can, you can really get into someone's head and understand kind of where they're coming from and, and, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's all there. And that's what makes a good story. Yeah. You know, that's what people connect with. Not as much FOMO. (laughs) Yeah, people aren't going to like really connect with a story when everything went perfectly. Like in any story, there's always like a problem that needs to be solved or like something that somebody had to overcome. And that like, I think that if more people talked about that in their social media, actually, it would make social media more impactful instead of this 
roller coaster of emotions that a lot of people tend to go through when they're scrolling through their their Facebook or their Instagram. <laughs> oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and as people who are like work in media, we definitely pay a lot of attention to social media. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it must be a really interesting landscape to work in because the way that we consume media, especially in the last decade, has changed dramatically. So yeah. like at bicycling, how do you guys navigate that? Do you have do you have regular meetings? Are you always trying to evolve with how things are going? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely always trying to evolve and we're actually in the midst of a big evolution right now that we can't really talk about. But yeah, we're, you know, I think everybody in publishing right now is trying to figure out how to quote unquote solve publishing. And we're definitely part of that. And the nice thing about us is that we're like a smaller team and we play in sort of a smaller space than some other publications. So we're a little bit more nimble and free to experiment and just try things and see if they work. So you'll look for that from us in the coming months. Yeah. Yeah. I asked that question because locally and and I live in BC, there's in Canada, there's a, a news outlet called CBC and it's like, that's like the the national news. And I really enjoy CBC, but they have, they have like a newspaper and they have a podcast and they have a bunch of different ways and a website, but they did this entire podcast about how things are changing for them as mm-hmm. like a big news outlet and how they constantly mm-hmm. are having to, or actually, no, I read about this in a magazine about CBC having to change mm-hmm. how they do things. But it was, it was interesting because they were saying that the speed at which things happen is so much quicker and as like a news yeah. site, when there's breaking news, they can't actually like write about it because someone's going to see it on YouTube. So having to like move in a much faster environment is, is also stressful. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think about it as like what content works best on what platforms. And like, you know, that's going back to what we were talking about in the beginning about like the flat changing advice, you know, that content works best on the web. We're not going to like try to replicate Instagram in the magazine. You know, that's not what you pick up a nice paper product Mm -hmm. to see. You can see that on your phone. We're going to give you something in the magazine that you're really not going to get anywhere else. And I think that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah. And, you know, I I really do like paper magazines. Like a lot of people are like, oh, well, everything has got to be digital. But one of the ways that I relax is I sit down with an actual piece of paper in my hand and I read it and there's like no distraction from my phone and like all these different things. Cause if you're doing stuff on your phone, you're not actually getting into it. You're not relaxing into the piece that you're reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, one, one thing I sheepishly admit to, to anyone who asks (laughs) is when people ask me what my favorite magazine is, I mean, obviously bicycling, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but it's, uh, it's people magazine. I've been subscribing to people magazine I mean, my whole life, my mother subscribed, my grandmother subscribed, you know, it's so lowbrow. Okay. I I recognize that, but like it arrives at my house on Friday. I get home from work. I have a glass of wine. I sit and I look at my people magazine and it's like a break from my world. And I don't really care that much about the celebrities, but maybe that's why I like it so much. Cause it's just like, it's just like a totally different world than what I'm normally interested in. And it's an escape. And I don't have my phone with me and I'm not on my computer. And I'm like, when I'm picturing it right now, I'm thinking of myself lying on the couch with one hand on the glass of wine and the other hand on the magazine. I know, that sounds so nice. That yeah. sounds so nice. I think I want, I want some know, of these people magazines to, so I can relax. But also like people will post on Instagram like, oh, I got my bicycling magazine today. And yeah. like, they're all excited. You know, they've got they're sitting at their pool or whatever, and they're reading their bicycling. And, you know, so I think, you know, bicycling has that quality for some people as well, which Mm -hmm. is cool. Yeah, I think that what you kind of brushed on was that 
it's hard whenever your passion is also your job. So like, so like things that you love, like you're doing on a daily basis. And I I struggle with this myself. It's like, I've really had a hard time finding a way to relax because previously all the things that I did to relax were my hobby, which then became my passion, (laughs) which then became my job. Um, and and we're also fortunate that we have that, but it does require having to step outside of that and say, okay, well, like, how can I relax my mind? Because even if you're like not riding a bike, you're not writing or whatever, like if you're Mm -hmm. reading things that are going to help you get better in your job or like on the bike or whatever, that's still not really relaxation time for some people. Mm Yeah. Yeah. In the spirit of confessions, one of the things that I've struggled with in this job is what is my cycling identity? And like, how do I feel about cycling sort of separate from my job? And, you know, one of the challenges of being of working at bicycling and and being in this role for me is like, pressure to be really fit all the time. And so that riding a bike ends up not being that enjoyable for me, because I'm always like, Oh, I'm not going fast enough, or I'm not riding enough or, you know, and I just stop enjoying it after a while. And I've recently kind of taken a break from that pressure and said, I'm not just it can't matter right now. Mm -hmm. And um, like, I'm slowly kind of working it back into my life in a way that I'm hoping is going to be I'm going to find more joy in it again, but it's definitely challenging. Yeah. Especially like, like Leah said, I started as the gear editor. So I, when I started, I was testing a lot of gear too. So it was like, even like rides would be sort of work related because I was, I had to test this bike. I had to think about what these shoes were doing and like whether this helmet was too hot and things like that. And I also sort of needed to take, I don't know. I feel like I went through this like sort of painful time where I was like, riding's not fun anymore. I got into yoga during that time, you know, and tried to do other things too. But I think that now I've sort of got, I've found a little bit of that balance, you know, Um, and it helps that like my racing is pretty different from a lot of the content we cover on bicycling. Like I race enduro, you know, we don't do a lot of stories about enduro racing. You can't say that yourself, but I'll say that for you. (laughs) Well, thank thank you. I I, I try my best. So, you know, and, and the racing, I don't know. It's like so physical. And I spent a lot of time at work, like staring at words. So it it has sort of become an escape because I think of it, I've like separated as this like physical thing that I do, you know, and it's my time to get outside and, and my work is bike related, but that's like my time to like be cerebral and think about stories and, and things like that. So that's how I've sort of separated those things. But yeah, it's, it's a process, I think, to find that balance. I think I'm going to, um, get back into mountain biking again. And I think that's going to be the the thing that gets me to love cycling again. When I first started riding more seriously here, I did, I was mountain biking and I was, you know, I was learning and the trails out here are like really hard really rocky, <laughs> and really yeah. rocky. And I was a book editor at the time and I was like kind of learning on the job, like how to be a book editor. And I didn't really know. And I was like doing all these like contract negotiations with literary agents. And it was like really intimidating, but I would go for these lunchtime mountain bike rides and I would forget everything. Cause I was literally trying to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I want that again. Like I need that again. And, um, so that's definitely a goal of mine for this year. Yay! Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's a really good point too. Cause like one of the things I actually love about really technical mountain biking and why I love mountain biking is that you're a hundred percent in the moment. Like you have to be focused and same with like some of the more challenging yoga poses. Like you cannot be thinking about anything, any uh, future or past, or you have to be right here and right now. And I think that, yeah, road biking, you tend to, the mind starts to like spin and wander a little bit. You can wander. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what I like about biking. It's like it's very meditative. Yeah, in a, in a much harder way. <laughs> yeah, it's true, and also like if you are crashing off everything, which I admit that like there's rides I go on where I like I will not be able to ride anything, and then the next day I go back and I ride the same trail and I can do it like it's easy. So there's good right. days and bad days. And I think that yeah. that's character building as well. Like learning how to just accept that. Okay. Today's not my day today. I'm not going to be killing it. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah. That's real life. That is real life. Cool. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you guys want to say on the show or any other encouragement for the bike industry in general to get more women into leadership roles? Just to get back to that, you know, like Gloria was saying, when you're looking to hire people, look outside your normal circle don't be afraid to like look at look at other industries, look at people from other industries who, who might not have like the exact experience that the previous person had or that the, the job description seems to require because a lot of skills are not that hard to learn. And what you really want is the person who's motivated and excited and is going to work hard. And you're not necessarily going to get that from your inner circle. This might be a controversial statement, but it's like, one thing at bicycling that we've never wanted to do is hire people who who think they're going to get to ride their bikes all the time because that's not what the job is. Right. You know, the job is not going out for 5-hour long rides. The job is, you know, sitting in a in an office and making content. <laughs> there is some riding, but you have to be really focused on making the content and making the product. Yeah, I think what I'd add is that working at bicycling and being in this environment where it's like 50% women has definitely, that's become my normal. And then now when I go to a lot of industry events and I see like all men, or like I see this video of a press launch and it's all men, like I find that very strange now. And like, Mm. sometimes I'll just like, does anybody else think, see how strange this is? Like, this wasn't like a men's ride, you know, it's just a ride, but like, why are there no women here? It's just bizarre. Like, and I think that it is time for more people to like see how bizarre that is. I mean, and you know, if anybody is saying like, well, it's just because there just aren't that many qualified women candidates. It's like, well, you know, if that were true, then we wouldn't be the staff that we are. So, you know, it's clearly, clearly that's, that's not the case. It's also though, you, you know, it's hard. Like, how do you attract women to apply? You know, I do hear a lot. Well, we don't get, you know, we don't get women applying. And so like, what can you do to make your workplace more friendly to women? I'm not sure I have the answer to that. It it kind of is a little bit of chicken and egg thing, like hire more women, (laughs) but, um, having a bro culture is not going to attract women. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) so Yeah, well, that's great advice. And I think that you guys are really doing a great job in the industry. And I just really want more companies to know what you're doing. And also just more women to hear that there is space for you if you want to work in the bike industry. And you just have to try you just got to get started and find the right place where you fit. And there are places where you'll fit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, if people want to connect with you guys, obviously they can find Bicycling Magazine, but what, like personally, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way? I am Leah Flick on Instagram. That's probably the best place to find me. You can message me there, see my occasional posts. <laughs> <laughs> Leah's actually kind of a big deal on Instagram, which she wants so much. <laughs> she is. Yeah. Her photos are amazing. So I'm also on Instagram at that's underscore my underscore line. All right, I'll put those in the show notes. <laughs> All right, awesome. <laughs> That's my line. Move it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> cool. Thanks so much for sharing your time. And it was really cool to get to talk to two amazing women on the show. Yeah, it's awesome talking to you. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much. That was so great to get to talk to those rad women. And I'm so thankful that I have this platform of podcasting to interview tons of inspiring women and to help get our voices out there. Sometimes in male-dominated industries, it's harder as a female, but the way I look at it is you just have to not listen to all the chatter and you just have to do what you believe in and what you love to do. And it usually works out. I am in southern Spain right now getting ready to start the Andalusia bike race. The Andalusia bike race is a six-day mountain bike stage race. It is my first race of the year, and it's a big one. It's a really large UCI stage race in Spain, so it'll be interesting to come home and give you guys the full rundown on how everything happened. It's also the olive oil capital of the world, so I'll probably bring back just a little bit of olive oil, even though it's not a huge part of my diet, but I do love olives. Thank you so much for subscribing to the show. If you've been enjoying it, please make sure that you subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify. It's also on Google Play and a number of other places. And if you can leave a review, that's really helpful for making the show more visible. So if you need help, like sometimes people don't actually know how to leave a review and that's okay. You're not alone. So send me a message if you need help leaving a review. If you want to share the show, taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media and tagging myself and the guests always helps a lot. It raises the stoke and it helps other people know that my show exists and I would really appreciate your support. And lastly, I just want to thank our podcast sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for athletes and health conscious people like us. They also have an online quiz and look at things like your Strava to see how much you actually exercise. And I've been joking that maybe they'll give you an additional savings if you have QOMs or KOMs on Strava. <laughs> Another cool thing is that vegans also save money because there's so much science proving that we live longer and you can actually see some of these stats on their website if you're curious. So if you want to save up to 33% on life insurance or if you just want to get a free quote and compare it to what you're already paying so you maybe you can save some money for your new bike, go to healthiq.com slash Sonia or mention the promo code Sonia when you talk to a Health IQ agent. All right, guys. Awesome. Another episode down. I am getting close to the one-year anniversary of the show. Episode 52 will be the one-year anniversary of the show. And that's crazy that time flies so quickly. So thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you back here soon. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we will see you back here next week. <laughs>